The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. The tax collectors and sinners were all seeking the company of Jesus to hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. This man, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. What man among you, with a hundred sheep, losing one, would not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the missing one till he found it? And when he finds it, would he not joyfully take it on his shoulders and then, when he got home, call together his friends and neighbors? Rejoice with me, he would say. I have found my sheep that was lost. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over ninety-nine virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Or again, what woman with ten drachmas would not, if she lost one, light a lamp and sweep out the house and search thoroughly till she found it? And then, when she had found it, call together her friends and neighbors. Rejoice with me, she would say. I have found the drachma I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing among the angels of God over one repentant sinner. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that would come to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country where he squandered his money on a life of debauchery. When he had spent it all, the country experienced a severe famine, and now he began to feel the pinch. So he hired himself out to one of the local inhabitants to put him on his farm to feed the pigs. And he would willingly have filled his belly with the husks that the pigs were eating, but no one offered him anything. Then he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's paid servants have more food than they want? And here I am, dying of hunger. I will leave this place and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your paid servants. So he left the place and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him in his arms and kissed him tenderly. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we have been fattening and kill it. We are going to have a feast, a celebration, because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was out in the fields, and on his way back, as soon as he drew near the house, he could hear music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked what it was all about. Your brother has come, replied the servant, and your father has killed the calf he had been fattening because he has got him back safe and sound. He was angry then and refused to go in. And his father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I have slaved for you and never once disobeyed your orders. Yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his women, you kill the calf we have been fattening. The father said, My son, you are with me always, and all I have is yours. But it was only right we should celebrate and rejoice, because your brother here was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of the Lord. There was a shorter option, but I chose the long one. I hope that's okay. That's such an epic story, isn't it? And there's so much in there. I've heard it broken open many times, and I'm going to steal from a whole lot of commentators in a moment. But think, think for a second, just for context. Think of that word by St. Paul. Now, keep in mind, Paul was, back when he was a, a very, very devout Jew, he was always devout. He was always seeking religious perfection. And it was in his desire to be perfect, really, misguided, sure. But in his desire to be perfect, he was crushing the church. Who are these misfits? I will end them for my God. Uh, and of course, that's, he's, he's literally knocked off his horse and, and struck blind and has a, a radical change of heart. But, but there's something of the old Paul in the elder son. And there's something of both of them in all of us. And there's something of the younger as well. All of us are lost sheep. And I don't want to say that to demoralize us or make us feel um, wretched or, or hard done by. But the fact is, we're all sheep in this world. Jesus says it plainly. I send you out as sheep among wolves. That's not a fair fight. That's a pretty bad game we're in. I send you out as a sheep among wolves. And Jesus comes to be the sheep. Our shepherd is a sheep. Look at the book of Revelation. I saw one as a lamb, mortally slain. Our shepherd is a sheep who dies and whose blood is spilled because he loves us so much. And I've already said that, and I guess we could say it till the cows come home. But the fact remains that our God would expend himself for us. If God gets to choose which one of us prevails, him or, or all his creation and his precious sons and daughters here, he doesn't choose himself. Isn't that just ridiculous? The universe is reliant on him. He needs to be there. No, he'd prefer that we would be there. This is staggering love. It's nonsense, really. It's the scandal of God's generosity. It's, it's foolish. And he himself said, this is the foolishness of God. It doesn't really add up. It's not economic at all. Just, what is today, Saturday? Just yesterday I was talking with the kids at St. Francis, and the teacher wanted me to um, speak on a biblical character who negotiates trial and through resilience and virtues sort of gets, gets through and comes into the peace of whatever God is offering them. And so we had a whole lot of names that we were thinking of, but we ended up settling on Moses. And then I thought it was so beautiful that the liturgy presented us with this first reading here from, from Exodus. So as I said to the kids, this is from the second half of, um, of, of the Israelites' journey out of slavery, you know. And that's such an archetypal story. But what I feel called to speak on here with Moses is this idea of idolatry, because that's what they're doing. They have this molten calf, and in a, in a weird, like who knows what's going on in their head, but they, they set up this bull, 
which they made. So they know where it came from. It's not, it's not uncreated. They made it. It's, it's made in their image in a way. And they say, here, here is your God, Israel, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. So they're looking at this thing and they're saying, that saved us. Isn't that weird? What is that? Uh, there's something in the human heart, in all of us, lost sheep. There's something that craves for image. And I think the reason is because we can, we can dominate an image. We can get a sense of it. It doesn't surprise us. It's exactly where we left it. Uh, it's exactly the same shape. It, it's still looking like, you know, if I paint a smiley face on it, it's still happy with me. Idols are nice. Uh, we all have our affection, if you like, for idols. But I'd like to say, you know, our idols are not as primitive as this. And, and really, there's, a, there's, a, there's the seeds of a sacramental imagination here because j- just this morning we had a baptism and um, I'm busy doing all these gestures, but while I'm doing it, I'm saying, Christ anoints you with the oil of chrism. You've now been clothed with Christ and we put this white, very, very uninspired garment. You know what I mean? It's like a pretty basic cloth. Um, and you think to yourself, is this idolatry? And no, it isn't. It isn't precisely because we know that that image is transparent. It's, it's, it's just there to kind of help us bridge this imaginative gap that we all have. We're creatures of image. We need images. We need signs. We need symbols. We need ideas. We need little phrases. But in faith, we need to look through them and not get stuck on them. Else it becomes an idol. We don't need to be anxious about that because I I hope that we all know when we have our paintings of um, the saints or or God, you know, the audacity of trying to paint God, isn't that just insane? But we do it because latent in the image is a whole lot of symbol that helps us look through it. So I'm not looking at God's big long beard. Who cares? It's not about that. I'm not looking at God's gigantic biceps in the images of God the Father we have because I don't think that's what he, I don't think that, I don't think that's God. But it gives me somewhere to look, to almost look at it and then close my eyes and look through it. And that's precisely what Israel do not do. And I think if I can put us on the par of ancient primitive Israel, we do this at times. Every time I think I already know what a person's going to say, because we argue all the time and I already know it and they may as well not even say it because I've already heard it in my mind. That's idolatry. I've disallowed them from being alive. They're dead to me and they're lost. And, and I almost prefer it that way. Isn't that weird? It's idolatry creeping in again. Every time I want to kind of sh- smoosh God into a, a tiny box where the righteous prevail, you know, and I'm, I'm actually justified in killing people or I'm actually justified in my horrible behavior because God's merciful and whatever. Those are idols. The living God is merciful, is just, calls us to himself. I will rise and go to my Father. I will be encountered by an other who actually challenges me, who loves me, who um, draws me up out of myself. You know that line where, where the prodigal son says, where it says, he came to his senses. That's a profound thing there. I'm not going to unpack the Greek because I'm, I'm not very versant in it, but, but I've had people explain this to me. Him coming to his senses is like, him finally opening his eyes on reality. All idolatry falls away and he suddenly sees, where am I? I'm a beloved son. 
I have an inheritance. What am I doing? He wakes up. All his senses come back. All, all of the stupid numbness of his addiction goes away. And he, and he suddenly struck. I don't belong here in this land with the pigs. I'm a beloved son. One last thing. Jesus tells the elders and the Pharisees and whatnot this story really because in their judgment, he's with the pigs. Like That's what it would seem like. It says here, all the sinners and... Um, the tax collectors and sinners were all seeking the company of Jesus to hear what he had to say. Isn't that amazing? They don't, they're not there because they feel worthy. They're there for the reason that the disciples say, you have the words of everlasting life. Where else should we go? We don't know where else to go. We're here with you. And thank God you've been hospitable enough to let us sit around table with you. Jesus is eating with the pigs. He, he wants communion with all of us wherever exactly we are, wherever we're coming from, whoever we are, whatever is in our history, whatever is in our future. He calls us to dine with him, which is pretty intimate. He calls us to table. He calls us to partake of the same thing that he's eating. And, and it goes even further when we come to the Eucharist because he lays himself on the altar. So we partake of his flesh and blood. Not, not an idol, not the dead f flesh of an animal but the living presence of Christ who looks back at me when I consume him. I think I'm eating a piece of bread, but really the Christ, the living bread, is consuming me. I'm lost in him. Who's more alive between me and that living bread? So, all I want to do, I guess, is invite us into an awareness of the little and the great idolatries that we might accidentally fall into at times. Let's just consider all our neighbours, all our friends, all our family, and God too, as alive, as on a journey, and as worthy of being met. You know, we meet them and that encounter has never happened before. You've come to know me pretty well over this past year, but, but every encounter we have is fresh. It's never happened before. And I hope I don't parrot off the same stupid scripts I always say, because I want it to be alive, I don't want it to be an idol. And in that frame of mind, of great attentiveness, of great openness, let's come and gaze at our living God as well. Because he's here, living, active, cuts into our heart more than a double-edged sword. He comes to encounter us. He comes to free us, to bring us back into the beloved sonship, uh, daughtership, family that we belong to. This is our home with our God.